Hey, how many of you veterans today, stand up so we can just acknowledge you. Tomorrow is Veterans Day. Amen. Um, another thing that's going on, um, I read the or saw the caption this morning. Over in the Philippines, they are being hit or have been hit by a typhoon that has just devastated. The, the caption said, 10,000 fear dead. And so um, I just want to lift them, them up t- uh, this morning before we get into the word. And uh, just, uh, again, man, people are going through stuff all around the world and things devastate them. And all of a sudden, you know, their life has, has changed. And so... Um, uh, we have an orphanage over there that we've been supporting for years. We want to lift them up in prayer. And one other really quick praise report. Uh, there's a brother that's sitting up here. He had a stroke a little over a month ago, man, and he's here today. And so, Russell, woo! amen. <laughs> God is good. God is good. Let's pray, guys. Father in heaven, we do want to come before you and praise you. Thank you, Lord God, for our brother Russell, Lord God. We're just blessed to see his face here, Lord. Father, right now, Lord, we do want to pray for the Philippines, Lord, for that island nation, Lord God, that you would just surround them with your peace and your grace, Lord. Father, as many have been devastated and many losses, Lord, we pray, God, that you would use, Lord God, those brothers and sisters in that nation to come around and as the the, the world comes around them, Lord God, that, Lord, you would use all this, Lord, to glorify yourself somehow. We lift them up to you, Lord God, and pray, God, that you would just do miracle after miracle there in saving people's souls, Lord God, even though so many were lost. God, we, uh, we just lift them up to you, Lord. And Father, right now we pray that, God, you would be with us even as we open up your word, Lord God. Go before us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you will, turn to First Peter chapter 1. I had all intentions to finish this chapter, um, and it's just not going to happen. As a matter of fact, I even cut (laughs) first service short because I got stuck, just like I did when I was studying. Um, I I just couldn't move any further, and so let's jump right in, uh, beginning in verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, in Pontius, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved with, by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tried, 
tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each man's works, work, conducting yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but the manifest, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Going back to verses 17 through 19. As I was studying, I I just got stuck here. (laughs) And my intention was to go all the way to 20 and 22. But as I was going even first service, it's like, nah, I can't even get there. I couldn't do it justice, so it's like we're just going to do verses 17, 18, and 19. But he starts here as, as Peter continues, and if you call on the Father, or better yet, so if or since you call upon Him as your Father, Peter is continuing the therefore that, that, that he prefaced in verse 13, where he says, therefore, because of everything that we've already covered before, therefore, gird up the, the, the loins of your mind and be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is, that, that is to be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. He, he, he kind of continues in that, in that same vein, and it's almost like verses 
15 and 16 could be parenthetical, could be parentheses as to, 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 to make the point as to why we are to be obedient. Because He is holy. It, it's almost to, to, to again point to the fact that we need to be transformed children of God. Because He is holy. And, and, and again, it's almost like he's, he's talking and he gets to that point and he says, be holy for God is holy, because God is holy. And since he is our father, and Peter now personalizes this whole relationship, that the one who is holy is actually our father in heaven. He personalizes it. It's not just a God that's up in heaven. He's your father. And so as he is he's saying, since he is your father, since he is the one that is holy, and again, he, he's continuing in the topic of conduct, behavior. He says, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. We talked a lot about conduct last, last week. And he continues in that in that vein of, of, of talking about this conduct. If you are a child of God, if you consider yourself born again, you now have a spiritual nature. It is different. Because of that, because of that decision that you made, even though it was offered to you, you made that decision to become a child of God, you now have a spiritual nature. You are not of this world. All of a sudden, you decided, I am not going to play for that team anymore. You have ranked out, basically. (laughs) You have said, I am not part of that anymore. I I am part of this over here. You made that decision. And so you are now considered not part of this world, even though you have to live in this world. The Bible says in John 17, 14 through 16, you can write these down or turn over there, but I have it written here, so I'm going to read them. There's a few others, so get your pens ready. But Jesus speaking in John 17, 14 through 16, He says this, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world or not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That's what you have decided if you call yourself a born-again Christian, to say, I am not part of this world. I I am not going to walk according to the course of this world any longer. Because I've chose a different team. You you inherited this world. You were born into this world. You had a nature that, that, that was bound to this world. But there was a time where you decided, I am not of this world either. I'm going to join the team, Jesus team or whatever. However, you're going to, you're going to get jumped in over there instead. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're like leaving that what you know that you were raised in and saying, I want that above all else. You see, now because of that decision, you are no longer a citizen of this world, even though you live in this world. Your citizenship is in heaven, the Bible tells us. 
Our citizenship is where our Father is. He is now your Father. If you consider Him your Father, that is your citizenship, not here. And we have the distinct privilege to represent our Father here on earth. We are His ambassadors here on earth because of that, because we have made that decision not to follow the course of this world. He says, then I'm going to keep you there. I'm not going to take you out of there. I'm going to keep you in it. But now you're going to represent me as an ambassador. The point is being made that our time here, our stay here on earth, is that of a sojourner, if you have a King James Version. Is that of a, of a stranger, a foreigner, one who doesn't belong to that country, but is temporarily, or, or, or is a foreigner residing there for a time. But that's not your place. That's not your homeland anymore, or, or it's not your homeland So with that said, we are to conduct ourselves as ambassadors, as representatives of the one who sent us into this world. When we decided that we will not play the game of this world anymore, and we are now of, not of the world, we have ranked out of the world, we have been sent into the world. We've been sent right back to the place that we left or that we don't want to be a part of. He says, you're, a, you're going to be in it though. And you will be my representative there. Because he who sent us is the one who judges our conduct too. Seems a little scary there. We represent the judge. Now here's the good news. The judge is our father. <clears throat> but here's the bad news. <clears throat> the judge doesn't play or doesn't show partiality or favoritism. He's still a judge. Even though we are his children, he's a strict father. He's a strict judge. He doesn't play around when he's behind the bench. <laughs> He doesn't show partiality because you might be his favorite. (laughs) I think it would be pretty safe to say that if we sent our kids out to represent us, we would expect them to represent us well. We would want them to represent us well. Some of you might be thinking, well, I don't even represent myself well. What do I expect from my kids? Well, knock it off and represent yourself well if you call yourself a child of God. As a matter of fact, we would probably expect more from our children if they're going to represent us because they are our children. And the same thing goes with God. If you are one of His children, He expects you to represent Him well here on earth. Now, even though he is the judge or the judge is our father and we could run to him at any time crying out, Abba, Father. That word Abba means Papa. We can cry out to him and we can run to him because he is our our Papa. He is our Father. 
He loves us as His children. But there is still a healthy fear that we need to have because He is the judge. There is a reverence, a respect, a holy respect for who He is. There should be an awe that comes along with that fear of who our Father is because He is the judge. Oh, He's our Papa. But man, there's times that we need to bow down. We need to bow down in respect of who He is. This judgment that Peter is, is writing about, it, it, it's a judgment of, of the believer's works. He is not talking about a different type of judgment. He's talking about the believer here. If you call yourself a Christian, there is a judgment that comes as well. Now, he's not talking about salvation. It has nothing to do with salvation. But <laughs> salvation ought to produce good works in us, the Bible says. In the life of a believer, we are to conduct ourselves in good works. We are called to good works. But you see, this judgment that he's talking about here, if we have trusted Christ, if we are born again, God has forgiven us of our sins when we ask Him for forgiveness. Our sins have been judged on the cross already. So we are clean. We're free and clear in that sense. They will never be held against us ever again because Jesus paid the price on that. Our sins are already judged. But as believers, there is still a judgment for us. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And you could read about that in Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12 and 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. Romans 14, 10 and 12 and 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. You could read all about this, this judgment seat because each one of us as believers will have to give an account for his or her works. And each one of us will re- receive an appropriate reward. That's what these scriptures indicate. And so this judgment is almost like a, like a family kind of judgment <laughs> where the father is dealing with his beloved children. <laughs> but he goes on to say in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, from your aimless conduct received by traditions of your fathers, from your fathers. In, in talking about how they were to conduct themselves, Peter reminds his readers, and this is us as well, he's speaking to us here as we're reading. Peter is reminding his readers about their salvation experience. It's almost like he's taking them back to remember when they were saved, how they were saved, or what they were saved out of. He's reminding them of of where they were and who they were and what it cost to free them from that. That's where Peter is taking them there. And so he says, knowing or recognizing, distinguishing, 
being made aware of, in other words, not forgetting that there was a heavy price that was paid for them. He takes them back to remember that because I think oftentimes when we get saved, man, we understand, we comprehend how we have been freed. Some of us, when it was a radical confirmation, it's like, or, or, or conversion, we understand it is radical. We went from that way to that way. But as time goes on after, after, after a while, it seems like we don't, we kind of forget those things. We forget what He has saved us from. We go about doing things that we should not be doing or going back to things that we should not be doing that got us in trouble in the first place, that we had asked forgiveness for already. That the, the word redeem here is a word that is not common today. We don't use that word redeem very often. We use the word Ransom instead. Ransom is the word for redeem. But when we use the word ransom, it it is usually associated with a payment, a payoff of some kind to set someone else free or to set someone free. When, when, when people have been kidnapped or, or, or taken or something, there's oftentimes a, a ransom that, that somebody wants to free them. And so that's what we associate this word ransom with. But it was a word that was commonly used back then for those who were paying the ransom for slaves to set them free. There was people who... Who, who would gather some money, and because it was a, a, a big slave thing in, the, in that day, they would gather money and go ransom these slaves. They would free them from slavery. They would set them free. But they were redeemed with, with whatever they came up with, silver and gold. Now, can you imagine back then being a slave and being bought by someone who you didn't know? But they had this heart to free slaves. And, and, and they, they, they gathered some money and you were the one that was chosen and they bought you, they ransomed you in order to set you free. Can you imagine hearing the words, you can, you can go, you can, you're, you're set free from your former life. You're never a slave again because you've been bought and paid for. Again, being a slave at that time, wouldn't you feel like you owed them something? Wouldn't you feel kind of obligated to do something for them, even though they're saying, no, you're free. You're free to go. Wouldn't there be a sense of, of gratefulness, of going, but how can I pay you back here? Let me work for you. And them saying, no, that's not why I bought you. I bought you to, to set you free. There, there, there would almost be this sense of responsibility to conduct yourself around them in a worthy manner because they paid so much for you. You would want to kind of like do everything for them. Even though they're saying, but you don't need to. 
knowing, recognizing that someone had paid for your freedom. Peter reminds his readers that they were redeemed, ransomed, from their aimless conduct. They were, they were bought from, or, or to be freed from, their aimless conduct. That, that, the word aimless means empty, vain, useless, fruitless, and profitless. In other words, there was no purpose or direction. Peter is telling them, that's what you have been freed from. You're no longer a slave to that. When we think of a slave, we don't associate, we don't associate words like useless to them. No, these slaves have a purpose. They are given direction for their master. And they are very profitable. That's why a master buys a slave like that. But they were bought with corruptible things like silver and gold still. What we have received, what we have inherited from the traditions of our fathers, this world is an empty, useless conduct, behavior that is called sin. That's what we have been inherited. That's what we have inherited, sin. The sin nature. And there is no amount of silver or gold that can be used to redeem us, to ransom us from that. We are slaves to it. What Peter is saying in light of what we have been learning in this chapter is that we were not redeemed with corruptible, perishable things which were used to to free men from slavery. No, it was much bigger, much greater what, what, what he is talking about, what he is trying to, to get across is, is that there is something much more precious, valuable, and costly. And that is the souls of men. The souls of men are at stake here. And there is not enough silver and gold that can ransom, that can redeem a man from the slavery of sin, from the bondage of sin. The price that was paid for us means that we don't have to be a slave to our former conduct. We don't. We don't have to do what we used to do anymore because we have been bought at a price so that we don't have to go back to those things. Isn't that amazing? Those things that that we have been caught up in, that when we said, Lord, free us from everything, save me, and He does, He says, you're free from that. You don't have to do that. You don't. Ever. You don't have to go back to that. The ransom that was paid was worth enough to free us from our aimless conduct. That aimless conduct that we had inherited from our fathers. That ransom paid for that. We were redeemed, ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. That is good enough. You see, that's the only thing that is good enough. To redeem 
me from my sin. Because nothing else. My blood and my death is not good enough to pay for my sin. It's just not good enough. It would have to be something that is, or someone, that would be good enough. It would have to come from something or someone that is without blemish and without spot. You see, God required perfection. And there was no way that I could ever pay for that. I'm sure that at this point, as Peter is writing this, as he's penning these things, as it's come to memory, once again, he is reminiscing, he is recalling, bringing to mind his brother Andrew. If you know the story in John chapter 1, Andrew was one of John the Baptist's disciples. Somehow he got hooked up with with John the Baptist. And he, Andrew, had heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, knowing about John the Baptist and kind of a gruff kind of guy that he was, I don't think that he told his disciples, Hey, look, behold the Lamb of God. I could imagine in, in, in all his boldness, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Probably louder than that. I'm sure as he saw him, he said, that's the one right there. And it wasn't long after that, that Andrew left John to follow after Jesus. The long-awaited one. The one that when he pointed to it, something stirred within Andrew and said, I'll see you later, John. I'm going with him. And John says, go on with your bad self. You do that. Because he is the one. He is the lamb. You follow him. And right after that happened, he went and found his brother Peter. And it tells us that he said, we have found the the Messiah. We have found the sent one, the deliverer, the Christ, We found him, Peter, and you need to come and see for yourself. And so Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And there is no doubt in my mind, whether it was right away or in that time frame, that he tells Peter, Peter, this is what John said when we saw him. Behold the Lamb. That's the one I'm taking you to. He's the one, Peter. And I'm sure all this had been stirring in Peter's life as he's writing these things. You see, Peter saw firsthand. Peter was there. He was an eyewitness to that precious blood. Remember? You remember the story when when he is following from afar and he gets caught up and Jesus already told him, you're going to deny me. And there's a portion where it says that as Jesus had been getting scourged and he denies him for the third time in the rooster crows, that it says that their eyes met. And so he saw the blood. He saw the precious blood being spilled by Jesus before the cross even. And Peter, continuing to follow from afar, I'm sure, saw the cross and he saw Jesus bleeding on the cross. And so when he's talking about the precious blood, he understands what that means. 
He was an eyewitness to that precious blood. It was really real to him. Much more real than it would ever be for us right now. Because he was an eyewitness of it. He saw the shedding of the blood from Jesus. The perfect one. The perfect one who was paying the price like a lamb without blemish and without spot. He saw that price. You and I were bought, ransomed, redeemed for a price by the blood of Jesus. Our only way to heaven is through His blood. That's it. To have eternal life with God is through someone else's blood, not yours. Do you understand that? The only way that you can make it to heaven is from somebody else's blood because your blood is not good enough. My blood is not good enough to get us there. And that's what God requires, blood. We can only make it through someone else's blood. All the while, when we were conducting ourselves in an aimless, useless, fruitless lifestyle, Jesus died for us. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Somehow he saw some worth in you and I. He knew what we had inherited from our father's sin. He knew that we could not pay for it. And somehow he looks at us in the midst of all of that and says, you're worth it. You're worth it. I I will shed my blood for you. So that you can have this this relationship with my Father. He wanted to give us a living hope. A redeemed hope. That's what he wanted. So why shouldn't we desire to be holy as he is holy? Why shouldn't we desire to be different, set apart? pure, morally blameless? Why shouldn't we conduct ourselves in a holy manner because He is holy and He is our Father and we are to represent Him? Why shouldn't we want to do that as obedient children? Guys, I, I, I get frustrated and I think this is why I got stuck on here because I couldn't move past this because as I'm looking at this and I'm getting upset at myself going, why do I do those things? Knowing this. <laughs> Knowing it was somebody else's blood that paid for my sin. And it's frustrating because he loved us so much. He paid a heavy price for us, for you. Why shouldn't we want to? Why shouldn't we just stay away from it so that we can follow after him? If you helped someone out, I mean, you bailed them out big time. You bailed them out of something that was so huge that they themselves would tell you, man, there is no way I could ever repay you. And you, being the good Christian and all, said, don't mention it. Don't mention it. It's all good. And lo and behold, they never did, ever. And they began to treat you as if you had never, ever helped them in your life. 
I don't care how good of a Christian you are. You're going to be going, really? I know, I know I said don't mention it, but dude, at least a little props here and there. At least give me a little nod like, I remember what you did. Nothing. They're treating you messed up. And I don't, I don't care how good you are. You're going, God, really? I know I said didn't, don't mention it, but Lord, convict their souls. <laughs> convict them, Lord. Somehow remind them what I have done for them. <laughs> Again, I mean, don't mention it. It's like, really? We want that. <laughs> we would be a little upset. Now, I'm not saying that that's what we do with God, that we never mention it. That we don't say, thank you, Lord, for the blood. I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't do that, but our conduct oftentimes speaks louder than any thank yous that we give Him. Oh, we might say, praise you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, and raise our hands. And yet our conduct, the way we behave, the way we speak, the things that we say and do reflect the total opposite of saying, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. You see, God never said, don't mention it. He didn't say that. Now, don't get me wrong. His love is unconditional. Whether we love him back or not, his love never changes. But if we respond to his love, if we receive that redemption, that ransom that he has paid for us by the blood of Christ, it says that we have become a new creation when we do that. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 1 Corinthians 5.17 Ephesians 5 8 through 10, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is of all godliness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You see, God didn't save us so that we can go do whatever we want. He didn't do that. He didn't say, hey, let me, let me pour on the salvation on you and you continue living your life the way you used to. He didn't do that. No, He ransomed us so that we can belong to Him. He ransomed us so that He could be our master and we will be His slaves. Oh, He expects a lot from us. Way more than I think we conduct ourselves with. He's calling for holiness. For being different. You see again. He, he, he saved us. He, he ransomed us from our former life. We don't have to be a slave to that any longer. But we can be a slave to him. He is a good master. He loves us so. You see it cost him something. It cost him something that is far more precious than silver and gold. It cost him his son. And he expects <laughs> That if you receive that love, that you would walk in holiness. That you would conduct yourself in a different manner. 
Now again, I was going to do verses 20 and 21, but now we're not going to get there. But uh, as I was looking at this, I thought, man, Lord, it, it is truly hard to comprehend all that you have done. But what's not hard to comprehend it wasn't easy, but it's not hard. It's the way of salvation. To give us a redeemed hope. That's not hard because it, shows, it tells us in John three sixteen through 18, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Guys, he has made it simple. He loves you. He cares for you. And I know as believers we know that. But why do we act as if we don't? And my prayer this morning has been that as believers we would comprehend the extent of his love, that we would not forget that we have been bought as a pri- at a price, not with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Jesus. That's what we've been bought with. Guys, if we keep that in our forefront, it will keep us from jacking things up in our lives oftentimes. It will keep us from doing stuff that is so stupid if we remember, oh, I've been bought with a price. He is my master. My prayer has been for maybe those who have you, of those who are here this morning, who have been sitting here for maybe days and, and weeks and, and months and still have not committed yourself to God, that you would realize that He loves you dearly. He paid the price for you so you don't have to live the way you're living right now. That guilt, that shame that, that you live in every day, he's already paid for that so that you can be free from that conduct. So you don't have to live the rest of your life here on earth under that guilt and shame. He wants to free you from that. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You know that. He wants to free you. He wants to give you that new life. And some of you have never made that public confession. And while we sing and while we pray and while we, the, the last part, I, I want to challenge you. I want to call you out. That you would come up here and I just want to pray for you. Make that public confession today. He's paid the price for you. He's, he's, he's gone way above and beyond that he had to, but he did it for you. And he loves you that much. You've been bought with a price. Let us conduct ourselves in a holy manner. Amen? Let's stand as we pray. And if you need prayer for anything, we will have prayer teams up here that you, that you can come and they will pray for you. But if you want to make that public confession, I want you to come down, down here. I want to pray for you. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come before you, once again, Lord, we are so in awe of who you are. Lord, that you are our Father, but you are our judge as well. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, God. I pray that, Lord, you would lift them up and encourage them. That you would speak to their hearts, Lord, God, and remind them continually 
of your goodness and your grace, Lord. That, Lord, that we as believers would, would remember that we have been bought with a price. Lord God, please, Lord, I pray, God, that we would just continue to understand that in our lives. And I pray that right now, if there's anyone, Lord, that needs to make that public confession, that today would be that day. That, Lord, they, they have backslid or they, they have not told anyone of the, 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 the profession that they have made to you, but they've never confessed it in front of people. I pray that this morning you would draw them out, Lord. And I thank you for that. And I pray that you would be glorified. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, the-